0: Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Sleep, never retreat. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast presented by the Rambling Runner Podcast Network, where we take an insider's look into the training of eight of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials in Atlanta next February. And in this episode, we touch back up with... Stephanie Flippin, or I should say, Dr. Stephanie Flippin. She did not have the summer that she had envisioned, and we're going to talk all about it. And just goes to show you that even for a doctor, you never quite know what's going on with your body, and it's so important to check with other people and other medical professionals just to see exactly what's going on. And also in this episode, because it was such a hit last time, we also finish up the podcast with a little beer talk. Stephanie loves her beer, uh, not quite as much as she loves her running, but I have see her plenty of times trying out new beers all the time, and I couldn't wait to talk to her about that. So, without further ado, here's my episode with Stephanie Flippin'. Hello, Stephanie, and welcome back to the show. <laughs> hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going well. I really appreciate you bumping on to the show. Uh, this has been... Um, a wild summer for you. <laughs> Certainly one um, that was very, very unpredictable in so many ways. So I'm excited to get into it. So first of all, how are you feeling?
1: I feel awesome. Um, I'm so glad we're talking today. Um, I've had a few consultations um, with some of my physicians. Uh, I'm just feeling so much better and um, just excited to really get going with this next marathon block.
0: There you go. All right. So let's just, let's just rewind it back for a second. Uh, I know in our last conversation, we talked about what your plans were. So let's just touch base on what, what was the plan for your race schedule this summer?
1: Yeah. So the original plan, um, you know, and things did pan out and like the intention of the summer, um, you know, I, I definitely felt like I, I learned a lot and, you know, gained a lot from it. Um, despite things not going exactly as planned. Um, but that's life, um, but originally, um, you know, I had a 5K, a couple 10Ks leading up to um, like a goal half marathon um, out in San Diego uh, that would have been earlier this month. Um, and I didn't end up racing uh, AFC half um, for some health reasons. Um, I was just, you know, I was feeling really good, um, you know, the last time we talked. Um, and I want to say that was, was that in June? or yeah, it was late June. Yeah. Late June. Yeah. I was feeling good. I mean, um, my husband and I had been kind of traveling a decent amount, um, for his race calendar, um, that has been really busy. Um, you know, and I had to make, um, a considerable amount of just adjustments, um, with training because of that. Um, but things are going well. Um, but you know, once, once July started, um, Things, I just had a series of kind of underperforming um, and at first it was hard to tell you know it's summer summer racing and training is rough as you know <laughs> running through all that humidity out there um, it's it's been really hot here in Colorado um, and I never really got to go down to sea level to race so there's a lot of factors um, but there was just you know deep down I knew um, you know I was there's just a slight Underperforming, um, you know. I feel like my coach Heather is really, really good um, at, you know, laying out um, a race plan um, and predicting exactly what um, her runners are capable of running. Um, she never, she never sets me up uh, like for failure, nothing like that. She's extremely realistic, um, and yet even, you know, with all of that, I was still just not really hitting what I deep down knew that I could. Um, At least, you know, the effort was definitely there. But, um, you know, the numbers weren't exactly what either of us had been hoping for. And while then, you know, the time on the clock isn't, you know, the end all to everything, just deep down, I knew, you know, I was trying as hard as I could to, like, mentally scrape the barrel and just, Physically, that was not being reflected, if that makes sense.
0: Now, was that happening simply on race day or did you feel like your training runs, uh, like your workouts and stuff, weren't quite getting to the level that you thought they should be at?
1: Yeah, I mean, at first I was thinking, you know, the first race that, you know, I hopped into, I was thinking, okay, you know, I am, I have zero experience whatsoever racing short distance. um, And by short, I mean, you know, mile to 5K. Um, because to me <laughs> with, um, you know, it just my history of ultra running. That to me is extremely short. Um, and at first I just thought, you know, it's in Heather had said too, you know, it takes a while to kind of quote, race yourself into shape and learn how to race, um, a shorter distance. Um, but so, you know, initially I was like, okay, you know, maybe I'll, I'll just give it another shot in a couple weeks, um. But I I was having to make a lot of adjustments in training, um, and I just I just wasn't hitting the level that I was wanting to, and honestly trying to, um, even in training as well. Um, and by no means it I mean it was so it's it's so slight, but at this point, like in my life, I guess I my body just knows what a certain pace should feel like, uh, and I felt like I was just reaching a bit for those same pieces um which i feel fortunate that i've become in tune uh with myself enough to to realize that um
0: and you you you, you live um you know in at elevation and you train in a very hilly area and you, you know you can kind of go out and do a lot of trail running especially on easy days when you do your hard workouts whether it's um you know, track style workout or, you know, increased paces in the long run, are you doing it on fairly flat terrain?
1: Um, It kind of depends. So that's something that Heather and I talk about too. Um, You know, Indies, you know, is a fairly flat course. Um, So, you know, if there's certain higher level paces like threshold work um, and under, I, I stick to the track or at least, you know, flat terrain for that or the treadmill. Um, once it's like marathon pace, um, I will throw in some hillier terrain. Um, that's what I did for Boston, uh, my Boston cycle this past year. Um, just in order to train course specific, obviously. Um, I don't know. I'll try to mix it up a bit. I feel like, um, moving into this next block, uh, longer runs with, with, uh, marathon pace miles built in. Um, but definitely for, for threshold pace and under, I, I try to stick to flat just because there's, there's so many other variables up here. It's high altitude. It's still pretty warm right now. So I try to, you know, isolate certain things so I can still
0: hit those paces. And when you talk about not being able quite to get to the, the gear um, that you should be able to hit relative to perceived effort, was there like was this you know like a full body issue or was it simply like you know your your legs weren't firing or you had a certain muscle group that wasn't quite working the way it should or lingering soreness like what was how would you describe your body when you when you weren't quite getting to those levels?
1: Yeah, you know, I I told Heather this too when I really thought about it, it was like, my legs felt great. Like my mind, mentally, I was there, even though I was, you know, towards the end of the month of July, I was kind of starting to doubt like, okay, am I just mentally weak? Um, No, I actually, what I really noticed was my legs felt great. I was, I was struggling more so to catch my breath, but it really didn't feel like it was a, you know, oh, I'm not cardiovascularly fit. Um, It didn't, like that, it just felt like I was kind of just gasping, um, you know, and just not able to maintain that kind of comfortably uncomfortable state, you know, during these workouts, it was like everything, no matter, you know, what pace, if it was a, you know, a, something at a repetition pace, if it was threshold, I still just felt like I was, I just couldn't catch my breath and everything just felt slightly harder um, than it should have.
0: So, so when did you start noticing that?
1: Um, I started noticing that right at the beginning of July. Um, yeah, right at the beginning of July. It was actually right after we talked. So oh, um, I remember telling you I felt pretty good. And then it was like immediately after I'm like, oh, maybe I don't know oh, 100%. <laughs> the, ro-
0: the road to the Olympic trials jinx. It's, it's already struck against uh, Parker Stinson, hopefully. <laughs> um, so... So what were some of the steps that you took to try to remedy this? Because obviously like, like most runners and you already mentioned it, this a little bit, like that first inclination is like, okay, if I'm not injured, how much of this is like in my head slash like a mental toughness issue?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. And the thing is, is I I went back and forth on it. I didn't jump to, you know, conclusions immediately. I thought, okay, you know, I have a string of shorter distance races lined up. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll give it a gauge and I just kind of hoped that as the month of July and into early August progressed, um, that things would just get better. Um, but you know, after it was August 4th, so I raced one final, um, 10 K that weekend. Um, and that was what just kind of sealed, uh, the deal is I, I just grossly underperformed for. The effort level that I put in. Um, my heart rate was through the roof. Um, I mean, granted, it was like an 82 degree uh, start um, at the race, but Heather called me immediately after. Um, and I told her, I was like, you know, I placed well. It was a course PR, you know, by almost five minutes for me. Um, you know, the race started at 8,000 feet. So, of course, of course, it's not going to feel easy, but it was also a significantly net downhill course. Um, and even on that, I just wasn't able to to pick it up. Um, so at that point, um, so that was August 4th, um, we made the joint decision uh, to get have blood work ran. Um Yeah. And so I I do have a history of iron deficient anemia, like many runners, many, many people have. So it's, you know, it's not a serious issue, could be much worse. Um, But we did find that my ferritin had dropped pretty significantly um, since, you know, May until now.
0: And describe to people what, you know, you obviously you're a doctor, so you can speak, you know, you can speak intelligently about this. Um, what is, you know, you mentioned iron and then you mentioned ferritin. So what's the connection there and what's the difference in terms?
1: Sure. So, you know, obviously I am not a hematologist, um, so I will definitely stay in my lane. Um, you know, I, I stick with feet and ankles. Um, but uh, to my knowledge, ferritin is actually a protein um, that reflects um, the actual storage of iron um, in your body. So pretty much like the stores that you have um, built up. Um, so my most recent blood work showed, uh, my ferritin to, to be well below the optimum levels, um, for female, uh, athletes, you know, trying to perform at a higher level. Um, you know, it's not something that would require any sort of like iron infusions, nothing like that. Um, I've, I've been down that road in the past. Um, when I was in residency, um, my hemoglobin was at the lowest. It was 7.1. Man. Nowhere near, <laughs> yeah, nowhere near that. Now my my hemoglobin's great. It was, came back fourteen point five. So you know, it's just one of those things where I, you know the combination of living it and training at high altitude has just uh, you know taken its toll um, because I have a history of that, um, and I had been under supplementing. Um, I mean, my training load had increased so much um, over the past six months or so, or nine months now, but. Um, the training load had increased, the intensity had increased, and you know, living and doing all of my runs at at least seventy five hundred feet, um, it just requires a lot more supplementation than I was even um, aware of.
0: And how did that change? So how would what was your supplementation before? Both like I mean, not not only as a supplement, but obviously you can um, you can eat in a way that will provide you uh, more iron as well. So how were you getting your iron before? And how have you altered it in, you know, the past month or so now that you've kind of started to address this issue?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, ever since I was uh, diagnosed um, with iron deficient anemia, um, this was probably, let's see, I guess about five years ago now. Um, I really started to increase iron rich foods. So dark leafy greens, um, we eat a lot of bison. Um, same thing with uh, with beef, uh, but it's kind of a balancing act. You know, you can't exactly just eat red meat every single day for every meal. Um,
0: says who? <laughs> says well, yeah, who, Stephanie? True. What about the carnivore diet? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yes, that's true.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, so I, you know, I definitely, you know, I definitely eat um, a high, an iron rich diet. I wouldn't say that I go overboard with it, um, but that um, in conjunction with, I've been on um, oral uh, iron tablets uh, for the past five years, Um, you know, but it's difficult because, you know, when I was first diagnosed, I was living at sea level um, in Michigan. And at that point, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't so focused on performance um, and, you know, athletics. I was honestly just more focused on getting through the day, like, through medical school without falling asleep. Um, and then getting, trying, just trying to keep my head up, um, during residency, um, you know, and I was quote, you know, running when I could, but it, I mean, I, it was really absolutely nothing compared to now. So in, in terms of now, um, and the changes that I've made, like, uh, moving forward, um, and throughout the past couple of weeks or so, um, my supplementation level was I, I wasn't even getting like 80 milligrams of elemental iron, um, a day. And most recently, um, uh, my conversation, um, with my doctor, he's now saying, no, I need to be getting 200 milligrams of elemental iron a day. Um, you know, and that's in conjunction with an iron rich diet. So it's quite a, quite a big difference. Um, and honestly, I was a little embarrassed to even just think just thinking about how much i had been uh, under supplementing.
0: And how quickly you know, once you start supplementing correctly, how quickly will you return back to the, the form of the feeling that you'd had before?
1: You know, honestly, once you start um, supplementing appropriately, it's, it's fortunately one of those issues where you, you feel the effects pretty quickly. Um, so that's a good thing. It's not something that usually takes, you know, months upon months, you know, to feel a difference. Um, so I'm really excited that I have answers to that um, now that I have an appropriate uh, dosing schedule. Um, and I, I've already been feeling better because I made a few slight adjustments, uh, you know, the second I got my uh, lab work back. So I'm f- I'm feeling definitely on the upswing. Um, and today was a great day. I felt really, really good um, during my workout. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited.
0: There you go. All right. And then also when you when it comes to the iron piece, is it is it is part of that um, related to oxygen uptake? Like what exactly does the increase in iron do for your body that allows it to perform at a higher level?
1: Yeah. So so we talked about ferritin and how, um, you know, my personal stores are really low. Um it's so living at high altitude, um, your body naturally makes a lot more red blood cells um, in response to it. Um, and the red blood cells are what carry all the oxygen to your tissues, you know, to your muscles and provides you the, you know, the strength essentially and the endurance to be able to run. Um, so the fact that I I had very little um, ferritin and iron stores built up, um, you know, I was supplementing, but, you know, n- at first, I was thinking, oh, you know, nothing's really being absorbed. Well, you know, just be- I was just under supplementing. Um, it's that pretty much explains why I was just felt like I was gasping for air. You know, I have plenty of red blood cells, but they're just not, you know, able to carry all the oxygen um, that I need <laughs> to be able to run at this level.
0: All right. So, what was your workout like today?
1: Uh, Today I had three by one and a half miles um, at threshold and then I finished it off with four by quarters, um, courtesy of Miss Heather.
0: (laughs) Got it. All right. So what what did those splits look like?
1: Yeah. So um, my threshold pace here um, at about 7,500 feet um, is about 615. And so for me and my level, it's um, Heather let me know that Uh, it's about a 19 to 20 second um, delta in terms of pace. Um, So 615 here um, in where I live in Colorado uh, is about a 555 pace um, for my threshold pace. Um, So I actually was able to hit that, those right on the head. I came in right at 615 um, average for those. And I I felt, I felt really good. Um, And just the past couple weeks, I've really been, I haven't been, um looking at my watch too much I mean I I really only I really only look at the splits until the workout's completely finished um just so I can be making sure that I'm just I'm trying to find that effort level um and trying to just find that sweet spot without kind of over obsessing about you know oh that that split came in at six seventeen like oh no you know like I'm just trying to you know run the intention and, you know, get the best out of myself, uh, on
0: each day. And that can be a really hard thing to do, especially if you're looking down at your watch, just to like, make sure you're yeah. pressing the right buttons. <laughs> so, but, so, but yeah. it's also a very, like, I guess it's a very level headed approach to, you know, to, 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 you know, view your training that way. Were you able to, to take a look at like your overall summer uh, in that same vein in terms of like being able to be like, you know, pretty level headed about the whole thing, or did you start worrying about the lasting effects of some, some of the underperformance that you were, that you were having? I
1: definitely, I definitely started to get worried. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing, you know, it's, I think we talked about this before, you know, underperformances, bad race days, bad workouts, they they're a thing of life, you know, it's, they're going to happen. Um, but I think once, once I hit my third race of the month, um, or of the summer, um, you know, it started to feel a bit like a pattern. Um, and at that point, that's also when, you know, Heather brought it up too. She's like, you know, it could just be that we need a little bit of rest. It could just be that, you know, it's really freaking hot, (laughs) you know, summer racing is hard. Um, or there could be also something at play. So um, you know, it was tough. I tried not to get too down on myself though, because um, like I mentioned before, um, when we first started talking today, like I, you know, despite slightly underperforming, you know, at you know at certain races, they they weren't my goal races either. And my goals for the summer was to work on my speed and my turnover, you know, and my power. And those definitely have been my weaknesses simply because I I really haven't been doing speed or power for, you know, any, at any point in my life, it's all pretty new to me. Um, you know, serious speed work and serious turnover. Um, and the past six months have really been, you know, the only time in my life that I've really been focused on it. So I'm I tried to, I tried to find that line to where, okay, don't be disappointed in yourself. You know, I, the effort was definitely there despite, you know, even if, you know, the time on the clock was, wasn't exactly what we'd been shooting for or hoping for or knew that I was capable of. Um, You know, you can't get too you can't get down on yourself if you know that you've brought the best, you know, to to each day and you've attempted to get the best out
0: of yourself each day. So. That's for sure. and when you look back on your speed work training, have you noticed an uptick in your power?
1: I have for sure like even even just today, um you know finishing off you know four and a half miles of threshold work with some four hundreds like th- there's just no way I would have been I mean my legs <laughs> don't get me wrong, my legs were pretty lactic this morning, but there's just no way that I could have even thrown down some quick um, you know, just short intervals like that at the end of, you know, a four and a half um, mile portion of threshold work. Um, and even I, I mean, I had a maybe a similar workout um, in my Boston cycle this year, um, but it definitely felt much harder uh, than it did today. So, and that's, and that's really what I'm looking for um, is, is seeing that improvement in terms of how I feel um, over, you know, Minimal seconds on my watch,
0: and that's part of the reasons I want to have you on this show. Was just this drastic improvement you've had over the last three years to five years. You know, some of the people that we talk to, you know, they they're when they're at peak fitness that peak fitness level isn't really different than their peak fitness level the past year or the year before that right like they're yeah, they're right. when they get close to their ceiling you know that's that's not necessarily a new feeling for them it's just the the effort to get back there so for you though it's a very different story like what would you how do your paces now whether it's threshold pace marathon pace 5k pace you know if you're going to do say half mile repeats things like that How does, how do those paces compare to what you were doing last year at this time?
1: It's, it's nuts. Like I, you know, I, I don't have like a specific training log. I use, I use Strava, um, but I don't have like a continuous journal from a year ago. I wish I did so that I could really compare how certain things felt, um, you know, certain paces and whatnot. But, um, I mean, and also too, I keep having to do the conversion because, um, well, one year ago I was here in Colorado. Um, but I'm just thinking a little bit earlier in the year too. Um, I remember, I mean, when I was training, I guess it was, yeah. So it was spring of 2018. Um, I recently, I was just going through my phone and kind of deleting apps and things like that, that I don't use anymore, but I had seen that I was running mile repeats, uh, in the spring of 2018. Um, like six thirty-five pace, um, around there, I six thirty or so. Um, and that's it that was at sea level. Um, so you know, converted up to where I live now, you know, a six thirty 630 or six thirty-five uh mile um would be, you know, six fifty five up here. Um and I that, that's crazy to me because You know, when I'm tapered or if it's, you know, a down week or something like that, like, you know, towards the end of an easy run, sometimes I'll have to pull back the the reins because I see my watch, you know, kind of dipping down, I mean, into the high 650s, you know, and my mile repeat pace up here is, you know, closer to, you know, 550, 545. Um, I haven't done mile repeats in a while, though, so (laughs) I don't want (laughs) to... I don't want to get too ahead of myself there, but, um, but, you know, converted d- down to sea level, you know, if I was running six thirty um, in spring of 2018, you know, a five fifty mile up here would be, um, uh, I'm getting myself all mixed up, but, um, it, it would be significantly <laughs>
0: different. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, right. I mean, you were just doing, just looking at your threshold workout from this morning. I mean, it's obviously a huge difference And say you were doing, mile repeats at threshold, which is a fairly common workout uh, for people to do. You know, obviously, you can do more or less, and you can do different kinds of recoveries between, but that's kind of usually the standard. And what you're talking about is, what, a 40-second difference if you pace adjust? I mean, if you altitude adjust? I mean, that's huge.
1: Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, yeah. At sea level, uh, so a 550 or 545 mile up here would be you know, 530, 525 at sea level. And I mean, that is uh, totally like unfathomable to me to think about, uh, you know, a year, you know, a year and a half ago. Like I, I never even thought I would ever see a six, you know, (laughs) at the start of a pace of any race, just, you know, maybe a 5k. But, um, and a year ago, I remember I ran the same 10k that I ran at the beginning of this month, um. And I, I ran it almost five minutes slower than I did this year. Um, I mean, granted, I had recently moved to altitude. Um, so you have to take that, you know, with a kind of a grain of salt. But I remember I, I remember I finished, I hit my watch and I saw 648 minutes per mile as my average pace. And my jaw just dropped because I, I never thought in a million years I would ever see that. Um, you know, I was just running for fun. Um, And, and I remember at the time, I think I even posted on Instagram saying like, you know, it'd be really cool if one day I could turn this into my marathon pace. Um, You know, and if you're thinking about (laughs) my goal and being on this podcast, um, you know, the pace required for a 245 marathon. Is definitely quicker than six
0: forty eight pace. So. <laughs> yeah, no, now you're like, I hope that's not my marathon pace. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like it's a like complete, yeah. you know, it's, it's a complete switch and a complete change. And obviously, you're working very hard to achieve these goals, and you're you're you're, you're very dedicated in so many ways. And let's just talk about diet here. We talked about a little bit in regards to iron, but you post your meals quite a bit uh, online. And maybe you only post the healthy ones, but they always seem super <laughs> healthy. So let's talk about diet because you live a crazy, busy life. You have, you know, your, 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 pre- your practice, your medical practice, you're putting in a ton of miles per week. Um, and, you know, part of the recovery and you know sustainability process here for your body is, is the nutrition piece. So how, how, you know, how do you feel now? What are some of the things that you, you try to take into account and what are some of the staples of your diet?
1: Sure. Yeah. Something that I definitely have been more cognizant about um, is making sure uh, I'm eating enough quality carbohydrates. um, And in terms of like timing, like when I eat them, Um, you know, everyone knows like the carbo loading, you know, before a marathon or something like that. But I mean, I've really been focused, um, you know, ever, ever since I started to get more serious about training. Um, I mean, I treat a workout and a long run by far um, pretty much the same way as I would um, if it were a serious race that I was looking to PR at. Um, but, I mean, I, car- yeah, increased carb intake, um, but I try to stick with um, like whole foods. So I eat a lot of white rice. Um, my husband and I both do um, potatoes, uh, both uh, sweet potatoes and uh, regular white potatoes. Um, we eat a lot of fish. Um, like I I mentioned, we do eat a lot of bison. Um, we, we eat a lot of veggies, um, but I've tried to find that balance in terms of not, you know, when I'm eating them. So I try not to eat super, super high fiber, um, vegetables and things like that, you know, the night before a key workout or a long run or something like that, um, and I feel like I'm fortunate to have, um, a lot of, or not a lot, but I'm thinking of two in, in particular, um, or two or three, uh, women that, um, are, uh, are there RDs or, you know, PhDs in nutrition and things like that. Um, you know, and they're always sharing things and, you know, I've reached out to them before about fueling, um, and hydration and things like that. And I, I just think it's so important. It's like the key piece to the puzzle, um, in terms of, Getting the best out of yourself on race day, um, that plus sleep <laughs> would also be the other key piece.
0: But yeah, for sure. So let you talked a little bit about veggie timing, which I had. Well, I don't eat many veggies, so I don't have to. I, I never even considered the timing aspect of when to eat vegetables. But that you you prov- you provide you know you know a great example, and we <laughs> don't have to get into the specifics of what happens if you eat the wrong veggies <laughs> at those moments. But. Let's talk about, let's talk about carb timing, uh, and exactly what you're referring to.
1: Sure. Um, so it, along the same lines though, um, as you know, kind of scaling back on the fibrous vegetables, um, you know, before a race or a workout, um, I also try to eat like simple carbohydrates, uh, before either a race or a workout. Um, so, you know, for example, white rice versus brown rice or, um, you know, my friend Megan um, just recently posted about, you know, I, like I eat bonza pasta all the time. I love it. However, it has it because it's made of chickpeas, it is it does have a lot more fiber than, you know, a, a regular um, pasta that's maybe like wheat based or um, even some of the other uh, gluten free pastas um, that are rice based or rice or corn or quinoa based uh, something like bonza or or any sort of uh, chickpea or lentil pasta is going to have so much more fiber even though it's high high in carbohydrates um, so i do try to avoid really loading up on those um you know the night before um but i do i do feel like you know there are a lot of fad diets out there and things like that. Um, and I personally have, you know, I've gone through certain phases where I have utilized specific diets in order to get my gut, um, you know, back in the right place. And I think we talked about that before, maybe the very first time that I was yeah. on the rainbow runner with you. Yeah. Um I, yeah. And you, yeah. And you so, drink
0: kombucha fairly often as well, right?
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah. Kombucha is awesome. Um, I definitely drink um kombucha and like the it's kind of similar but um some of the same kombucha brands make like apple cider vinegar um drinks um i've had a long history um of like GERD, um pretty much like heartburn um and i've had like ibs and things like that so um getting all those prebiotics and probiotics have been really helpful um just keeping my gut in check um and I did go through a time where it was really, really bad. Um, and I, I, did cut a lot of carbs. Um, but I always say that with an asterisk, I was not training for anything or running. I was not performance focused at that time. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a time and place, you know, for certain diets, but, um, definitely I feel like once I don't just feel like I know <laughs> once you get, um, you know, to a level where, you know, your goals are performance based, um, you know, you you have to make a choice and you definitely have to be fueling, uh, with carbs. Um, and in terms of your question about timing, um, I mean, I just, I just make sure I'm getting enough. Um, you know, and I, I try to, you know, just make sure everything is happening as it should, you know, each month. Um, and I've, you know, I've been pretty vocal about it before too. The second that I, if I felt like I was, you know, getting underweight or I was noticing, you know, certain symptoms that are associated with that. I mean, I, I would definitely pull the plug on training because I mean, the second those types of things happen, you're probably not going to be able to even have the choice to run because you're going to get, you know, the risk of stress fractures and things like that. Um, and just in order to prevent those things, you do have to be eating enough, and enough also means enough carbs.
0: You bring up a great point because that, that's exactly right, and you hear it so often: is just trying to make sure that your diet reflects what you're trying to do with your body, right? Like, I think we've all been you know, we've all been there on both sides of the spectrum, um, and it really can make you know can make a huge impact. And when you look forward now towards monumental, which is obviously the, the big marathon of the fall for you. What's the date for that again?
1: November 9th.
0: Okay. So what does the next month or so look like for you in terms of training and any potential races you want to do in the fall in terms of preparation for the marathon?
1: Yeah, so um, you know, I'm going I just spoke with Heather, you know, minutes before we hopped on. Um, I I have started, you know, marathon specific training a couple weeks ago. I've got a 19-miler this weekend um with a good chunk of uh marathon miles um in, sandwiched in the middle. Um so that'll be my first I ran 17 last weekend, um so you know, slowly totally building building the long runs up. Um I'm at about 75 miles uh, per week right now. And uh, we, Heather and I just talked about how we're probably going to keep it um, around that mileage just for the next week to 10 days um, while I, uh, because I'm about to really start bumping up um, my iron supplementation. So it can be kind of stressful on the body once you introduce something like that. Um, So we're just going to kind of keep that one volume variable um, the same. uh, So it's not adding more stress. Uh, to my, by my body at this point. Um, And then we'll just start to ramp up a bit more from there. Um, I do have a couple half marathons on the calendar. Um, They are both at altitude. Um, So, you know, I won't be going for some big, sexy number on the clock. Um, That's tough to do um, at altitude. Um, But uh, hopefully using them, you know, as some good workouts. Um, I might go for, you know, maybe a faster time at one of them. Um, that's at the end of September. Um, but yeah, that's, those are the only two that I have, um, race wise.
0: And which one's that one at the end of September?
1: Uh, that's the Colorado Springs half.
0: Got it. Now is that well attended? I know Colorado Springs is such an active community.
1: Yeah, I think it is. You know, I don't know the total number um, of participants, but I know it is a big race because they also have a a full marathon uh, with it.
0: So Got it. All right. So let's talk about marathon pace for a second. How often does that get adjusted by you and Heather? I know that just knowing Heather McCurdy, because you know I know James McCurdy. I, you know, we talked to him in a previous episode, and he's also my coach. I know that he and his wife are very strong proponents of don't run goal marathon pace, run your fitness, which is kind of their thing, which makes a lot of sense. But also obviously, by definition, means it needs to be adjusted as yeah. your fitness changes.
1: Yeah. Um, so just, I mean, I'm not a coach myself, so, you know, I've, and I've been trying to learn more in terms of, you know, how they make decisions and, you know, intentions of workouts and things. Um, I mean, so compared to my last marathon training cycle, um, I feel like Heather's She, I mean, she's obviously made adjustments, you know, as my fitness has gotten a little bit better, um, over the past year or six months or, or nine months. Um, but I mean, looking back, um, like some of the progression runs that I would run, um, so say like, you know, three miles at 650 pace and then, you know, a half mile easy or a mile easy and then another three at, you know, 640, um, you know, and cutting down in that regard. Um, I was looking back at, a, at some previous runs, um, and I would pretty much start at around, you know, 6.50 or so and work my way down, um, with the altitude conversion. Um, now, um, once we started to introduce, um, you know, practicing marathon specific miles, um, she did have me, you know, she pretty much has it set at about 6.35 to 6.37, um. You know, so converted, just subtract 20 seconds. So it's about 615 um, pace or so. Um, and she's adjusted it to that. Um, and like we, you know, have talked about earlier today, um, I, that effort level, it, it, it feels good. And I remember hearing you and James talking about it too, um, you know, marathon pace, shouldn't be, you know, you're, you know, huffing and puffing and like gorilla breathing almost. Um, you know, so I've kind of gauged it off that too. And I'm always letting Heather know how I feel. Um, I feel like I've said that so many times today, but I, it really is so important um, just because, you know, you're we're humans, you know, we're not robots. Um, you know, if your watch goes out or something like that, um, you do have to know that at that appropriate effort level, how long you can sustain it for. Um, so yeah, I, my marathon pace right now, you know, for 7,500 feet is right around 635. Um, I had a, uh, four, uh, it was a three by three, I believe I had, um, yeah, three by three miles. I'm at marathon pace this past weekend. Um, and that felt really good. It felt controlled the whole time. I didn't feel like I was overreaching. Um, which I was happy about um, because like you said, it's, you know, what you're training for, it should be based, you know, on the reality of your fitness and not, you know, what you would love to be able to run.
0: Right. Cause so many people, when they talk about, you know, the amateur runners, they talk about goal marathon pace, really what they're talking about, especially at the beginning of their training block might be more like threshold pace. And if you know that, and you're aware of that and you're not like being confused and mixing up your terms, you can still plan accordingly as opposed to something like, Hey, you know, I want to, I want to run eight minute pace all the time. I need to get there. What's a marathon pace workout going to look like, Uh, which is obviously a tough, a tough go. All right. So last episode with Lou Serafini, we did a little beer breakdown, a little beer questionnaire at the end. (laughs) And that got, I got some positive reviews, quite a few, in fact, and like Lou, You are also not afraid to post about some of your favorite breweries and craft brews. I am not. So (laughs) I got to ask you as well. So top three beers that you're enjoying right now.
1: Right now. Okay. Because I was originally thinking, I'm like, is Matt going to ask me like top three beers I've ever had? (laughs) So I had that on my mind too. Um, All
0: right. right. You you, you can, you can answer that one first. We'll let the other one kind of like sit in your subconscious as you, as you're answering this one.
1: Okay. Um, Let's see. So the, one of the first ones that comes to mind um, is actually when we were in Boston um, earlier this year, right after the race, uh, we went to, Um, I believe it was called Cambridge Brewing Company or Cambridge Brewery, but they had a bourbon barrel aged peach sour that was hands down the best sour I've ever had. It was so good. I was very impressed.
0: All right. We got a a lot of of Boston people listening to this Uh, and I'm not too far away. I got to make sure I take notes on this so I can can visit these places.
1: It was, I mean, I don't know if it was just because I was post race, you know, and I was just, Looking for some brews, but that bourbon barrel aged peach sour from Cambridge Brewery was excellent.
0: All right, all right. So that's number one. What, what are some, what what are the next two? The the Stephanie Flippin all time favorites.
1: Sure. Let's see. Um. So also when I lived in Michigan, um, we lived in such close vicinity, and anyone who's from Michigan too, um, I mean, knows the brewery scene there is just insane. I mean, it seems insane everywhere, but it's pretty crazy in Michigan. Um, So we lived um, by a lot of different breweries. Um, There was one um, that was called Liberty Brewing Company. um, And in the fall, they had um, their fall shandy and it was... So it was like a, it was a pumpkin beer, but it it was it wasn't super sweet. Um but they did they would put a splash of their home home brewed uh root beer into it to make like a fall shandy and that was also oh. excellent. Really good. Yeah. Interesting. I tried to root beer. I know. Yeah, I know. I tried to replicate it at home, um but they uh, they just didn't, I don't even think you could get growlers um, of their pumpkin beer. So I tried it with other pumpkin beers and different root beers and I could never get it right.
0: <laughs> oh, so they add it after the fact or are you legitimately like brewing beer in your basement?
1: No, 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 no. I was just I was buying like a, a generic like pumpkin beer from the store, and then you know whatever A&W root beer or something like that. And I was trying to get the right flavor, but I just couldn't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah. well you, two two mediocrities combined usually don't make a great yeah.
1: thing. I know I should have probably seen that one coming, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. That's a good one. All right. We, we can like, we're doing like a tour of the country here. We got the Northeast. Yeah. We got, we got like the upper Midwest. No, what, what do we got next?
1: Let's see. Um, I'm also a big cider fan. Um, well, okay. Yeah. I'm a big cider fan. So this next one I'm going to say, I I'm, enjoying it right now but i also think it's one of the best ciders i've ever had um and that is from the colorado i think it's colorado cider co um i might have to double check on that but it's called grass hoppa so h-o-p hyphen a-h it is a dry hopped um cider uh, with lemongrass it sounds bizarre but it is super good it's really refreshing and it just has that like slight citrus taste um with the lemongrass. And then with the hop in it, it's it makes it so it's not a super sweet cider. Um and I feel like, you know, if you're an IPA fan or something like that and you're like you like poppier uh beers, then you would still like this cider.
0: Wow. So you have a pretty wide array <laughs> of, <I> of, <laughs> of interests and tastes.
1: Yeah. And well also, I mean, I've also i put some thought into this after I listened to your episode with Lou, just because I didn't want to just say, you know, three beers here from Colorado that maybe you can't get anywhere else. Um, Because I've lived in multiple places. So kind of wanted to highlight (laughs) all the places I've lived. So
0: there you go. I like it. All right. So that, 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 that's a good list. That really is. But like you said, you know, you talk about these breweries. You know, a lot of people don't have access to them. And so I gotta ask you the question I asked Lou, especially regarding mass-produced beers. What is your what is your biggest overrated slash underrated mass-produced beer?
1: Ooh, overrated and underrated. Okay. So I will admit when you asked Lou this question about overrated, I was on my morning run and I blurted out to myself. Blue Moon, because I was hoping he was going to say it. And then he did. And I was practically just clapping to myself about it. But because um, I do strongly agree that Blue Moon is overrated. Um, but in the interest of not, you know, copying his answer. Um, I don't know, because that is what really truly comes to mind when I think about overrated.
0: Well then, um, we don't have to. We don't have to stretch it out. That, I, I, as as you, as anyone who heard that episode knows, I fully support this decision yeah, in this selection. Yeah. So I don't need you don't need to stretch it out at all. You can okay, just go right okay. with it, and we will just keep throwing deep dark shade at Blue Moon uh, from the Rambling Runner po- you know, podcast network. So how about underrated,
1: underrated. Um, I feel like. Honestly, I feel like Sam Adams has, you know, a good amount of really good beers, even though they're not like a craft brewery. Um, anyone out there could just correct me if I'm wrong, but um, like, I've, I feel like they're pretty underrated. Um, same thing with maybe um, Modelo. I think that's an underrated beer. I feel like um, Corona gets all the hype, you know, for a Mexican lager or something like that, but um, Modelo or Negro Modelo. Um, are both really good beers?
0: Oh man, I, I'm all over this because this is exactly the conversation that I had yesterday morning in my office. Uh, one of my <laughs> one of my coworkers, he listened to the pod. He goes, "I'll tell you my most underrated, overrated." I'm like, "All right, let's hear it." And he was like, "All right." He goes, "Actually, I'm just going to give you two, um, two, un- two underrateds and one overrated." His overrated was Heineken, and I was like, "Well, wow, that's yeah." Bold.
1: Oh, yeah. Actually, you know what? You hit it right there. That's the other one I probably would have said in conjunction with Blue Moon is Heineken. But I don't know. To each his own.
0: There you go. <laughs> I like it. And I, I, I'm a huge Modelo fan, for sure. I don't know exactly what makes it. Maybe it's the bottle shape. Maybe it's the foil on yeah, top. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, if you if you like literally taste tested me on it, I'm not sure if I could really identify it. But I've always been a huge fan. And yeah, I don't know really like the difference. I feel like it's probably just all marketing, but I am a big fan. And let me just say about Sam Adams. They were like the original craft brew, like going back to like 20, yeah, 25 years. Why,
1: yeah, that's why I said that because I know they're you can't you can't really lump Sam Adams with like Coors or you know Heineken or anything like that. So, that's why I was like not technically, you know.
0: No, but I feel like you get slept on too because it is so popular and part of beer culture for some people it's kind of like the music scene in a way where it's like if something gets too popular then then people push back on it not because of the quality of the product but because of the fan following itself as if that has something to do with the product so it's kind of like i feel like you know, just like bands can like, can get too popular and then they will be pushed back. I feel like beers can do the same thing and same Adams, like same Adams lager for me. Like that's, that's like perfection. Like if it I is. don't know, yeah. it, you know it's, it's like, I think I've grown into it a little bit. You know, I think the first time I had it, um, I think I was probably underage at the time. So <laughs> pardon me on this one, but, um, I was like, Oh, this is gross. But definitely as I've gotten older, like, Oh, this stuff is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. So. Stephanie, I'm so excited for you overall. Now that you got your diagnosis and you're obviously this happened very quickly. I mean, very, um, yeah. you know, it happened, uh, you know, relatively, uh, you know, soon in relative to when we recorded this podcast, we we're going to record this two days ago and you wouldn't have even known the diagnosis. I so know, yeah. with all that being said, how are you feeling about the next few months?
1: I'm really excited for the next few months. Um, especially now, you know, with the, a game plan moving forward, um, you know, and the, th- the thing is, too, is that, um, you know, I read the Passion Paradox um, over the summer, um, you know, and it talks a lot about making big goals, um, but then pretty much for the most part, forgetting about them um, and just literally focusing on the task at hand, what you can do each day uh, to better yourself, to get the best out of yourself, um, you know, and Focusing in that regard usually brings you to that big goal. Um, so I'm excited for it, but I'm also, you know, trying to get the best out of each and every day uh, leading up to it and just enjoying uh, the grind, which I've, I've always loved. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited for it. So
0: That's wonderful. Okay. I can't wait to have you on again in the fall. In the meantime, good luck with everything.
1: Thank you so much, Matt. Good to talk to you again.
0: Stephanie, thanks again for coming on the show. Always a blast to talk to Stephanie, uh, whether it's on the podcast or in any other form. Uh, she really is just such a wonderful person. Also, and we didn't talk about this in this episode, but she is just so gracious with her praise and just support of runners all over the place, all different levels and geographic areas and different races. And I know, you know, now that we're we have UTMB this weekend. I'm sure she's missing the ultra scene. Uh, actually, her husband, Mitchell Flippin is getting ready for the Tahoe 200 as well. Uh, but it's it just such a delight to have Stephanie as part of this project as she's getting ready for the marathon. And I can't wait to see her continue to build up strength now that she's on point uh, with her medicals and see exactly where it takes her this fall. So thanks again. Thank you for listening. Thank you for rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. Happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Marghetti from In Post Media. Also, thank you to MetaP for the music and his song Evolution. Never retreat,
1: they stand we reach. I ain't settling sheep.
0: Real version.